Handoff, Damian Williams trying to get to the edge, breaks a tackle, 35, 30, Damian Williams, 20, stays in bounds, 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Kansas City! Es Williams, acelera Williams, tiene el primer 10, se escapa, a la 20, a la 10, touchdown, David Williams. David Williams peut oublier l'affaire avec cette course qui va jusqu'au touchdown. Damien Williams runs to immortality in Chiefs Kingdom. Get ready to welcome your champions. Hello and welcome to the Arrowheads Abroad podcast. It's uh, Duncan here uh, with my usual compadre, Neil Blair. Hello. Uh, it's a very exciting uh, episode for us today. Um, our first guest on the podcast since we took over the podcast. And we, we're not messing about here, guys. We've landed a big fish. Uh, we've got the sheep uh, supporter himself, uh, BJ Kissel. Hey guys, thanks for having me. I don't know if I consider it a big fish, but uh, I'll take small fish, something like that. But I appreciate you guys having me on. No, thank you, thank you uh, for your time. Um, I guess first things first. Um, how how's everybody doing in lockdown? Uh, I don't know what it's like over there for for you, BJ, but we're still um, in various stages of of lockdown um, restrictions of where we can go, etc. Uh, but I'm not sure how is it over in Kansas City. Are you you guys are keeping safe? I hope. Yeah, there's a lot of different information coming out as far as what the individual cities across the country are, are doing and how they're starting to open things back up uh, in phases a little bit, just kind of slowly kind of integrating people back into uh, some some semblance of normal. But uh, for the most part, my family and I have been doing the same stuff that we have been. Uh, luckily, my wife and I can both work from home. Uh, work-wise, a lot of the stuff that we're doing right now is virtual. All the team uh, all the chief stuff is virtual right now, so all the media availabilities and and work stuff is all just via Skype and Zoom, and you know doing the best we can to try to you know create content and keep fans engaged with with the team coming off the Super Bowl win, trying to defend it and you know be the first team to do that in 16 years. So um, you know we're doing the best we can with that, and you know everybody uh, is you know trying to figure out and try to stay entertained uh, as best they can with the guidelines that the experts are giving us right now. With the virtual stuff, how did you find the virtual draft? What was your thoughts on that? I thought it was cool. I thought that it was really cool to kind of see the the GMs and see the decision makers and see the players kind of in like their their environments with like their families and all that. I'm sure for the the players' point of view, you know, going to New York and walking across the stage and hugging Adele is an experience that you know a lot of them probably wanted. But just from a consumer and a fan point of view, I thought it was cool. I thought it brought like a realness out of them, and you kind of got to saw kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit, which I think is the content nowadays that fans are really looking for, is as opposed to kind of the overproduced stuff. Um, just kind of like that raw emotion, I thought was cool. And then uh, for us, work-wise, I thought you know we did. I think it was eight live stream shows over four days. So I think it was about an hour and a half per show. So I think I talked for like 11 or 12 hours on our live streams over that four days. So um, I think I slept for about a day and a half after that was over. But um, I thought it was fun. It was cool to, to incorporate. And it was a cool challenge uh, for us to try to figure out ways to um, create engaging content and, you know, kind of bring this this draft, which is 
uh, I thought came at a great time. I thought fans, you know, not just around the country, but around the world, uh, Chiefs Kingdom, they needed it. You know, they needed something sports related to kind of get their mind off of the fact that, you know, they're sitting at home and trying to find, you know, what to do in this quarantine time. I thought it was a perfect time uh, to do something like that. And it was a fun challenge. And I thought we were able to do some cool stuff. Yeah, oh. we, we, were, we picked uh, what about half past five in the morning, was it, Dunk? Uh, I think I made it through the first night. I'm not sure I did the second. <laughs> no, I, I second night. I'm. I did the second. I stayed up for the second round pick, which is about half past three, but not the third. But yeah, kind of five thirty in the morning, and there's a group of us on the Arrowheads Broad um, WhatsApp chat, just Kevin banter back and forth during the draft, and it was just, it was such a distraction from what's going on in the world, and that was kind of the best part of it for me is just to take us away from what's going on and just here's some sport to talk about. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What really getting excited about what is a, just a overproduced HR meeting. Even <laughs> still, it was, it was really good. Because yeah. It was fun. Like the, the draft picks were cool too. Cause even though it wasn't live football to, to pick players and know that they're going to be on your team and then to go on YouTube or go find the film and watch them and just kind of see what's been added it's not live sports, but it was something that was real. So that, you know, the three or four days that followed and all the UDFAs uh, that they signed, got some really good players. They're going to fight to make the roster. So uh, the whole the whole thing was really cool and exciting. And like you, like you guys said, it was perfect timing. Do you think that the, I guess, the, the restrictions on travel and everything, do you, do you think that changed some teams' approach to the draft? That's a, the kind of the million-dollar question. I think a lot of the scouts and a lot of the decision-makers across the league said that it was going to be a lot more of a pure draft because it was just based on the film. You know, it wasn't based on um, 40 times and all that kind of stuff. I know that different teams, based on, you know, the way that they grade and the, rate, the way that they've always done it, they have to have those numbers to place a certain numerical grade on a player to kind of differentiate guys. So I definitely think there was a, a new challenge in that regard for some of them. And, and all teams are different the way that they do things. But I think from the Chiefs' point of view, I think it was going to be a lot more you know, focusing on the tape and, you know, the injuries or guys that are coming off injury. Obviously, you know, you you lean on guys like, you know, Rick Burkholder, the Chiefs Vice President of Sports Medicine and Performance. When you bring in a guy like Willie Gay uh, in the second round who was banged up a little bit, uh, Lucas Niang uh, had the hip injury. He was banged up a little bit. So it was definitely a challenge for those guys. I haven't had a ch chance yet to talk to Rick about that in particular, but um, I definitely think that that kind of, you know, would have made it a little bit different. But I think for the most part, um, even before the combine, most of the grades are done. You know, I think the decision makers say it every year and then every year fans get caught up in the media storm and the, you know, the eight weeks leading up to the draft. But the truth is that a lot of that work was already done. You know, by the time they get to the combine, the grades are pretty much set and outside of medical or guys that, you know, may have questionable character that they need to dig into a little bit more. Most of the stuff doesn't really fluctuate all that much. Um, you've got to kind of marry the plan that you had for free agency and how that fits with the draft, which is one of my most, you know, interesting things every year is it's not just saying who are the best players in this draft and who are the best free agents. It's marrying your needs to both of those areas. So you're not just comparing, you know, a cornerback, you know, or a receiver or an offensive lineman that's available in the draft to other draft picks, you're comparing that to, you know, the free agency and how much you're going to have to pay this guy as opposed to where's the depth in the draft. So that like whole chess match is fascinating to me. It's the stuff that I love talking about. 
um, don't have any control over it. It doesn't really, you know, it's not real. It doesn't really mean anything. But uh, those are the philosophical discussions that I love having and that really get me excited uh, going into that time of the year. Were you surprised by any of the draft picks? Not particularly. I think when you follow what Brett Veach has liked to do, they want explosive players. And I think that's the one thing when you look at who they were able to get, that these guys are big, they're long, they're fast, they're athletic. Um, all their spark scores or you know Q rating, whatever you want to call it. Um, these guys are the tip top of, of athletes. And you see it on film when you see uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, just his lateral agility, his ability to move from left to right. Uh, which translates to making that first guy miss. And Andy Reid's going to get him in position uh, to where he's got one guy on him. They can't afford to bracket the running back with all the other weapons they have. And with that guy's ability to make the first guy miss, I I don't see how teams are going to slow him down. And I, you kind of saw how giddy Coach Reid was after the draft and, and talking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And to me, it's that lateral agility, and he's got some quickness, some burst. Uh, to pick up chunk yards, and then with Willie Gay is my sing- the player I'm most excited about, because um, you have a, re- a guy who's six four, you know, two fifty, and runs a four four six, like, and he has instincts and coverage, like, it's kind of like prototypical of what you look for, and his personality on the field. I'm sure you guys have watched his highlights, and he is an and he is Chris Jones, he is Frank Clark, Tyron Matthew. That's the kind of passion he brings to the field and getting the crowd involved into it. So um, it, I wasn't that surprised. I'm excited to see how his personality fits into that defense and uh, some of those flash plays you're going to see from him as a rookie at some point. Don't know what his role is going to be or how he's going to fit in. I know Spag say he's going to start somewhere, but um, you're going to see some splash plays from that kid. He likes to live on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and uh, that's what I'm looking forward to is seeing that guy at training camp go up against Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and some of those one-on-one drills with the linebackers and the running backs in the passing game. Guys with uh, a good dose of personality, they really the chief kingdom really seems to seems to take to guys like that. Yeah, I think anytime fans can feel like they get to know a player a little bit or they can kind of emotionally connect to them, I think it creates a fandom that's that's stronger than anything else. You feel like you know somebody a little bit, even though you don't know everything about them. You feel like you know what they've been through, their their kind of journey to get to where they are. And most guys who are open with the media and have those personalities who are willing to share. Uh, guys like, you know, a really good example is Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark. I mean, both those guys are very open about what they've been through in their lives. And I think, you know, fans, particularly, you know, fans in the Midwest where it's, you know, for the most part, blue collar, hardworking people that, um, you know, want to know players at that level they don't want to just know what they can do on the field and i feel like it's part of our responsibility and working for the team is to to tell those stories and to bring those personalities out because like i said if the the fans feel like they know the player and what they've been through um they feel like they know them a little bit more just it makes that that fandom just so much stronger when you're doing the post-game stuff do you have favorite people who you'd kind of gravitate towards interviewing um, there are times where if it's not a good game, I'll go to guys that I have probably better relationships with just because um, they know I've got to ask questions. I've got to you know, do stuff. And this past year, it was a lot for the radio network. Um, so I'd go to Travis Kelsey or Reggie Raglan, Frank, uh, Tyron, you know, there's 53 guys in the locker room. It's not like you're going to be, you know, have the same relationship with every one of them. It's just not feasible, but, um, you want to hear from the leaders. You want to hear from the guys who are out on the field. Um, and you know, what went wrong, you know, how they bounce back, those kinds of things. So, um, I would tend to during the games that, uh, 
that you knew the guys were down. Because remember, when we go in the locker room, it's like 10 minutes after the game is over. And these guys put so much into it that, um, and they care a lot that it's not the most comfortable position to be in. Um, particularly, and you think it would be easier being on my side because they know me. Uh, but the fact that they know me and I know what they put in to do this, it makes it trickier because I know how much it hurts every time they go out there and don't come out victorious because they are good enough to expect to win every time. So um, I tend to go to the same guys, but you know, for the most part, there's not one player in that locker room that I'd feel uncomfortable going and talking to. But like I said, they're certain game, like the Tennessee game, for example, like I picked <laughs> the, the few guys I was going to go talk to. And, um, you know, to his credit, I went and talked to Damian Williams after that game. And that wasn't one of his better games. Um, and he talked to me after the fumble and he talked about the fumble and taking responsibility for it. And the way that he was sitting, he sat with his shoulder pads and all of his pads on, uh, for a good 20 or 30 minutes. Um, you know, other players are showered, completely dressed and he's still sitting, just staring forward. Um, you know, after that fumble thinking about it. And I, I remember that a lot of other media were kind of afraid to go talk to him. Um, I did go talk to him. It wasn't the greatest interview. It wasn't like he said anything earth shattering, but um, it is cool in my position just to be able to talk to those guys in those situations. Is there a point during games like the Super Bowl or the, the, cha- the AFC Championship game where you can enjoy being a fan? Yeah. Or is it, is it all work, work, work? Well, you know, whistle to whistle. I, I take a lot of pride in, you know, in a lot of responsibility and, um, you know, doing my job well. I'll start off by saying that because I don't want to make it seem like I don't. Um, but I grew up a fan, you know, back in 2013 in Coach Reed's first year, I had season tickets. I was out tailgating six hours before the game in the parking lot, um, having some beverages with uh, a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of strangers who became friends by the end of the tailgate. So um, I don't take for granted the fact that, you know, I'm very lucky to do what I do. And so I remind myself constantly, particularly the last couple of years, um, to enjoy. And I always say, be where your feet are and enjoy the moment. And I was able to do that a handful of times. I was really able to do it in the Super Bowl because, you know, I've told the story a couple of times, but there were so many technical problems with the radio broadcast. Not anything that was the fault of anyone on the radio network, but there's just so much media at the Super Bowl and the, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know all the frequency coordinator, all the stuff that they have to do. But long story short is I could not hear them and they could not hear me down on the sideline for the entire first half. And so I was completely like out of like I wasn't a part of it at all. It got to the point where I could kind of hear them and they could hear me, but we couldn't talk at the same time. So it became this big mess where I could kind of help them. And they eventually just said about midway through the first quarter, they said, we're going to fix it at halftime. Don't talk to us. Don't bother us. Because when you talk to us, then it cuts everything else out and we can't hear anything else. And I was like, all right, if you just want me to hang out on the sideline and watch the game for a half, like I'll do that. Um, I'll text you if I see something that's really, really important that Mitch needs to know um, because I'm kind of the eyes down there. Uh, I don't always, you know, I'm not always on the broadcast, but I'm constantly talking to our executive producer about things that are happening on the sideline. And that information gets fed to Mitch and to Kendall and everybody else who's, you know, on more than I am. So, um, you know, for the most of the first half of the Super Bowl, I was just, I had my headset on. I was just kind of running around down there, but. I couldn't really hear them and they weren't going to listen to me. So 
Um, I got to be a fan for the first half and then uh, sparingly throughout the second half, it kind of worked a little bit, but um, yeah, the Super Bowl, I, got, I definitely got to uh, enjoy being a fan. So I guess if there's one game that I got to be a fan for, like that was the cool one. How many times have you rewatched it? Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> probably like 10 or 11 like, have you seen the version where somebody has synced up Mitch's commentary yeah. to the TV? I've seen parts. Of, I saw the link and I watched through it to see like how well it was synced. Uh, and the backstory now that I what I just told you it goes to the show just how more how much more impressive what Mitch did was because not only did he not have the information that I normally provide that they didn't get Kendall Gammon who was standing right next to him his audio didn't work for most of the first half. So like Mitch called it by himself, which Mitch can do cause he's Mitch. Um, but when you go back and watch it and you, you get the backstory of, they have guy, like when I was looking up in the radio booth, they had texts and people climbing in the windows, trying to fix stuff the entire time. Mitch is calling the first half. Um, so it's pretty amazing. Like I wish there would have been like video showing people what was happening around him and around everybody up there. Uh, while he was calling the game, but just shows to goes to show why uh, he's considered the goat. Oh, big time! Yeah. Even and the well, I'm not actually to comment too much, but the uh, it's, it's, a, it's Bruce Buckley did the commentary at the time, wasn't it? Um, he didn't quite uh, he didn't quite get the excitement. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> there's a diff- there's a difference between watching Joe Buck's commentary. And sure. watching it again with Mitch doing the commentary, it's just like you're watching a different game. Yeah, yeah the passion just comes out of him. Oh, big time, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it was fun. The, the one thing I'd say, uh, going back and watching it a couple times, is on our sideline, because, you know, the jersey color and everybody, like the, the vest that everybody had, I had a white, like our white pullover jacket, and I was the only one on the chief sideline in a white jacket. So, like, when I go back and watch it, I can see myself very easily because it's like, there I am, like, the guy in the white jacket. And you can see me jumping. Like, when Sammy caught that fade when he beat Richard Sherman at the end, like, you can literally see me, like, right as Sammy catches it, like, on different angles. Like, I'm jumping up and down because I was looking right at – they were running right at me. So, when Sammy caught it, he's, like, 15 feet in front of me, and he ran right by me uh, when he was doing that. So, like, it – it's cool to go back and watch it and see myself not knowing I was jumping up and down until I watched it afterwards. I was like, I guess I was jumping up and down. Like I, I didn't know that's how I reacted, but I guess I did. Awesome. How uh, I kind of want to, to touch on how things have changed since the, the Super Bowl. We're obviously right. We're in unique times for, for so many reasons, but I guess, you, you know, you, you kind of into an off season where we're Super Bowl champions as well as all the rest of the stuff that we know is going on and that kind of how, how has that changed your job or you know how are things different for you now i definitely say we've talked we joked about this internally just amongst all the you know 65 tpt producers and uh, all the reporters and even mitch that you know this whole quarantine this whole like pandemic thing would be a lot worse if we had to one because you wouldn't have like the ability to go back and just have those positive memories and going back and watching the super bowl and just the content that we've been able to put out um, and kind of stretch um, all this stuff is so much easier because we won. You know, if we had lost and fans didn't want to see anything about the Super Bowl, they didn't want to talk about the season, uh, that would have been really difficult to to kind of buy time while there's not a lot of media availability, there's no practices going on. It's not like you can show, you know, rookie minicamp highlights and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out on the field and, 
you know, interviewing coach about players who are performing well and young guys who have a chance to make it or impressing in the meeting rooms, like all those things that we normally do during UT, uh, OTAs. Like we don't have that right now. So I uh, definitely think the Super Bowl is, is helped in that regard. We've done our relive campaign. Uh, these watch party Wednesdays, we've got another one tomorrow night and then another one on Friday night rewatching the games. I don't think fans would want to do that if if they knew the end of it wasn't going to be you know positive. So I think that's been cool. And then, you know, as far as, you know, the aunt, like the team goes, you know, continuity and bringing, you know, what, 20 of 22 starters back and all your coordinators, all your coaches are coming back. Uh, it only helps. You know, I can't imagine being a being in a situation where you've got a new quarterback, you've got a new coach, you've got a new system on either side of the ball. Um, even like new position coaches for the most part, like it's new lingo. It's getting used to somebody else. Like, I just think that that puts us a step ahead that these guys have worked together. They know the offense. They don't have to kind of rehash anything. They get the young guys up to speed, but for the most part, your core guys know what's going on and you can basically add to what you've already done and improve upon what you did last year. You don't kind of have to start from ground zero, which a lot of teams are having to do. And even in the division, I mean, look what the, the, we saw what the Raiders did. You saw what the Broncos did with Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs and all those guys are going to be good players, but they don't have time to you know go out there and get the timing down with their quarterbacks right now. And, um, you know, we could see some kind of ugly early football just from all teams across the league as they kind of go through these growing pains and strength coaches and everybody else can have to figure out how to, you know, keep guys from getting injured. Um, that's the, the work that they're all doing right now, trying to figure out the best way to do that. But, um, it's going to be interesting, but I think the great chiefs are in a great spot to, like I said, try and repeat, you know, for the first time since what the Oh four Oh five Patriots, I think going back there, it's been like 16 years. Do you think it's going to help us then with our early schedule, with the Texans have lost DeAndre Hopkins, the Chargers could well have Justin Herbert, um, the Patriots have no longer got Tom Brady. Do you think that's going to help the Chiefs then and kind of the early bit of that season there? I think it's easy for us to say it's going to help. I don't think when the players come, it's going to care. So we, I think it makes sense as a storyline. I'll probably use it as a storyline, but <laughs> you ask the guys in the locker room, they just go play football. You know, They've been doing this their whole lives. Uh, you know, the routes, the schemes, all that stuff change, but um, for the most part, it's the same game that they've been playing their whole lives. But um, I definitely think just being bought in, locked in, they know what success looks like. They know what they have to do. I think it's a real thing. But, um, you know, I feel bad in a way for the Texans. You know, the last time they stepped foot on a field, they blew a 24 point lead in the playoffs. And now the first time that they step back on the field you know, is Thursday night. And that's, that's going to be brought up that entire game to start the NFL season. Everybody in the world is going to be watching that Thursday night game and Bill O'Brien trading DeAndre Hopkins and bringing in David Johnson and the 24 point lead and every what was he thinking Larry me Tunsil deal and all the leverage that Larry me Tunsil had that they didn't sign to, to that extension when they first traded for him, it gave the player all the leverage in the world. So all of those things are going to be talked about that entire broadcast, which, you know, puts them in kind of a defensive position anyway, whereas the Chiefs are just, you know, playing with house money. They've got their guys back. They're going to go out and have some fun. They're going to raise the banner that night. Uh, hopefully we've got, you know, a lot of fans there. Um, we'll see. But, yeah, it, I don't think the scheduling did the Texans a whole lot of favors by putting them in that first game <laughs> for that reason. And lo looking back at, you were talking about Jerry Judy and uh, the draft. Who do you think improved the most in the West? Over the offseason, I thought the Broncos did a really good job of kind of 
uh, solidifying things around Drew Locke. I think that they know that, you know, they're all in with this young quarterback. He's a guy that I'm, he's from Kansas city. I've watched him play in high school, um, you know, against guys like Elijah Lee and Dalvin Warmack and, um, you know, the two Khalil and Carlos Davis from Nebraska, the two defensive tackles who got drafted late this past year. Those guys were all on the same high school team playing against Drew Locke. Uh, they're all Kansas City kids, and I remember watching them play uh, back then. But, you know, I think that the move to bring over Glam Glasgow uh, is probably going to get overlooked by a lot of people, but it shored up that offensive line. Um, I'm surprised they didn't do more at tackle uh, with the struggles that Elijah Wilkinson has had um, against the Chiefs in the two games. I think he gave up like six or seven sacks in the two games just this year. Um, but Glasgow, Lloyd Cushenberry, who they drafted at LSU, the center, I thought was a great move considering they lost Connor McGovern in, in free agency. And then, like you said, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler is really good. Jarrell Casey, uh, the defensive tackle, AJ Bouye, the trade for him. I just thought they did some good things to get some guys, some young t- offensive talent around him. So if you see development from Noah Fant and you see development from Deshaun Hamilton and you're, you, Corlin Sutton's already blossoming into a problem in this division. So um, I think that the Broncos, it may take them a little bit longer uh, because I think the Chargers defense is ready to win right now. Not necessarily anything they did this offseason. I just think that's the best side of the ball outside of what the Chiefs have of any of the three teams. I think the Chargers defense is better than the offense or defense of any of the other teams. Um, And then the Raiders have a shot. But, you know, for the Raiders, it's Derek Carr. You know, what is he going to do? Is he going to be able to put up 30 points against the Chiefs no consistently? To win? Like <laughs> history, I, history would say no. <laughs> yeah, I, unless they do that, I don't think they're going to keep the Chiefs below 30. And that's kind of like that, you know, that sweet spot of, you know, how do you do it? And I feel like the Broncos um, made their move and it, it yet to be seen if it works out. It's all in the coaching staff now. They've got the weapons. So do you think the division's as close as it's been in the past four years? Well, aren't the Chargers going to win the division? Isn't that what people well, say? That's, 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 so, they win the I, Super Bowl every season. You know, I'm not going to be like uh, the, the cocky, you know, Chiefs fan, cocky reporter just saying, yeah, we're the team on top. I think it just kind of goes with the territory of winning the Super Bowl and winning the division for four straight years. You know, you look at the, what, the Chiefs lost three games in three years or something like that in the division. Um, they've won, what, 11, nine straight against the Broncos, 11 of 12 against the Raiders, something like that. I mean, those numbers speak for themselves. Like, we don't have to do it. Uh, I, I would implore Chiefs fans uh, that got really tired of all the success and all the the Patriots fans and, like, all that stuff. Like, don't become who you have not liked over the past few years uh, when we start to have some success and hopefully have sustained success like the Patriots have had. Don't become what you didn't like before. Um, but you know, it's inevitable. The team on the top is going to take shots and, um, I'm just looking forward to, I think I already saw a couple reports of people saying that the chargers have the the best chance to go from worst to first in the division. So we'll just let them keep saying it. Cause our players love to use it as motivation. I'll just keep, I'll just forward it to Tyron Matthew every time and he'll do the rest. <laughs> Speaking of not getting too cocky and getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, yesterday I put a bet on the chiefs to have the perfect season. So hey if you based on paper and granted i'll i'll put this clarifier out there first that any team can improve substantially from one year to the next so on paper it looks like the toughest games on our schedule are early in the season um now that could change with injuries and all kinds of stuff can happen but um i feel like 
you know, you get through the first seven weeks of the season if the Chiefs haven't lost. Uh, those conversations, and I think I, what I said on our live stream is, based on what we think today of what these teams are going to be, I can very much see that conversation of the perfect season starting really early um, with the Chiefs if they're able to, you know, get through you know, that gauntlet of teams. I think it's the first six or seven. I don't have the schedule in front of me. I don't have it memorized yet. Um, but that first six, seven weeks, um, they get through that unscathed. I think it's going to get kind of exhausting, that conversation. And our players will be asked about it every week. Um, and I'm already annoyed about it. And the questions haven't even started yet because I know our players aren't going to buy into it. But uh, it's inevitable and it's exciting to be in that position. But again, I implore Chiefs fans not to not to be what you didn't like about other teams around the league who had success for a long time. This is the challenge, right? It's like, like they say, it's the, the hope that kills you. And I'm, I'm not so convinced about that. I think it's, we were hopeful for a lot of years and then we got expectant. And I think that was worse. And I, I think, yeah, and for Chiefs fans, don't take winning the division for granted. Because there were times, thinking back in you know, 2011, 2012, you would have been happy with just being relevant and just being competitive and going to win the division. So uh, Matt McMullen, our other team reporter, and myself, like we put all these stats out and we don't overlook some of the easy ones because the worst thing that you can do is, is kind of gloss over you know, the journey along the way and just say, okay, just all that matters is the Super Bowl next year. No, I want to win another Lamar Hunt trophy. I want to win another division title. I want to keep stacking these wins on top of each other because it is difficult. It is hard. And at some point, this magical run, um, I don't want to be that person, but like, it's not always going to be like this. Uh, so enjoy it while you can and don't take anything for granted. I think it's a, it's just a, it's a whole new set of problems that Chiefs fans need to just, just it's a little bit, it's just like suck it up, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Just deal with it, deal with it. You're good. Deal with it and handle it the right way. Exactly. Our players are, and so that challenge should be issued to the fans as well. I think over kind of the last five to ten years, once we, once we started getting better, and then we found ways to colossally mess things up from. <laughs> remarkable positions it's very hard to get away from that mindset that at some stage you're gonna do that again you've just got to kind of train yourself say we are good we should like when you got to the playoffs this year every game you were kind of going well we should win this and then you think well yeah but this is the chiefs and you know we have history here you've just got to kind of say we we're the better team hey between the houston comeback the tennessee all the comebacks yeah i think I think it was just, you know, the the football gods just exercising all the the, all demons, the demons of Chiefs fans past. And it's never gonna be you know, I I'm looking forward to the challenge of trying to make it more exciting than that. But to come back in the Super Bowl, to come back from twenty four in the division, uh, to go against Derrick Henry and nobody can stop him and coming back uh, against those guys and you know what they did in the regular season with Mahomes getting injured. I don't think you're going to see any more ups and downs in a season uh, than what we saw, you know, or ups and downs in a playoff. I don't think there's going to be that emotional swing um, in anything moving forward. So that that was special. I, I can't wait to, you know, think back on it 20 years from now. It'll probably be more special uh, than it than it is right now because we're still caught up in it and our quarterback's still only 24 years old. Uh, so it feels like we're just at the beginning of it, but. You never know what the future holds, so we should all, you know, just enjoy every little bit of this ride. Uh, it's, it's crazy, like you say, 
Patrick Mahomes is 24 years old. And you can you can list his achievements already, and they're you know they're, they're better than uh, as many other. Over a couple. Well, exactly. There's many other Hall of Fame quarterbacks that you want to, to talk about. You know, it's like where does he go from this? You, you'd be forgiven for thinking you're talking about a guy at the Drew Brees end of of a career and someone who's really just getting going. Yeah, I think you know it's not you know in a in a hot take society nowadays. I don't think it's a hot take. You know, because it's so easily backed up that he has the best start to any player in NFL history. You know, it's the most important position. Uh, Dan Marino's statistics, statistically speaking, was the one who was close. But, you know, Mahomes won an MVP, won a Super Bowl MVP in his first two years and and had a season that only two other quarterbacks in NFL history, again, statistically speaking, could even touch. And his highlight film is in two years is what a lot of people would love to have in an entire career when you look back at a Hall of Fame player. So, um, you know, I don't think it's crazy to say that. And the great thing about being around him is he's he's a good dude. Um, he's stayed a good dude. He hasn't changed a whole lot. He's There's a lot more asked of him now uh, than when he first came to the league, obviously, or even going back to his first season. And it's, the, the craziness is only going to, you know, continue uh, for him. But, you know, he's got his head on straight. He handles it the right way. So that's what gives me the most confidence that it's not going to be a flash in the pan. He's not going to all of a sudden, you know, show up next year. And, you know, we always joke, what if he just comes with like arm tats and neck tats and just doesn't want to talk to anybody. He's just rude to everyone. Just be like, man, what happened to him? But uh, that's not his deal. It's not going to happen. But um, So be, behind the scenes, is he the same kind of calm, humble person that you see that he puts across to the media kind of normal, in the interviews? Yeah, he's just a normal dude. Like that's the... You know, I have friends and people that ask me um, about it just because, you know, they work for the Chiefs and stuff. And um, they ask me about Mahomes. I say he's just a normal, normal kid. Plays video games. He's playing on his phone. Um, you Can know, abuse he's, his girlfriend for it. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, figuring out how that all goes. He's got dogs. He's just, you know, he's a normal kid. He treats people the right way, whether there's a camera on his face or not. And there's so many examples of him being a good dude to people, you know, whether he thinks he's going to get credit for it or not, you know, he just does things the right way. He's exactly who you would want him to be and exactly who you would, you know, create a player in Madden uh, on the field, off the field. He's, he's what you want. I mean, you know, he's not perfect. So we shouldn't put him on that pedestal after watching the last dance and <laughs> going through that whole documentary. Um, you know, you got to caution people about that, but you know, he's, it's easy for, for me to root for him, my kids look up to him um, just because they hear about him so much and they know that I talk to him. Uh, and I have zero zero issues with them looking up to him because of the way he carries himself and how he handles celebrity so far. I mean, this is, he's a, like you say, he's a 24 year old kid, and the, we're into the NFL silly season of players <laughs> doing stupid stuff that they shouldn't be doing. And the biggest criticism level that Patrick Mahomes is that he had two beers too many at the Super Bowl parade. You know, He's a 24-year-old kid who's completed football. If he can't go out and celebrate, then something. Every wrong. everyone had multiple. It wasn't just him. Like we're going to be <laughs> fair about it. Like it was everyone. Um, Are you including but, yourself in that, BJ? Yes, I. <laughs> behind the scenes, we uh, I had a a beer in my pocket before every interview I did. Did a cheers. Um, took a few seconds of a swig, a swig, and then did the interview. Cut that part out, but. You know, we were enjoying, everybody was enjoying ourselves. You saw the, the, the video of one of our producers catching the beer from Mahomes off the back of the bus. Um, you know, that was one of our, one of our people. So, 
Um, we were all having a good time kind of balancing that, you know, enjoying that moment while also doing our jobs. And, um, you know, that parade was something I'll never forget. Like that was, that was special. I can only imagine. Uh, I mean, ch- changing tack a little bit, but still uh, chatting uh, about one or two too many beers. Um, we mentioned earlier on that we've um, we've well, we've announced the plans that to bring a group of fans over for our um, Kingdoms Reunite tour to Kansas City mm-hmm. in 2021. Um, like you said earlier, you're a veteran of the tailgate scene, um, <laughs> as, as is Neil. Uh, we were finding out as well. Um, what are your what are your top tips for anyone who's listening to this, wondering if they should start saving their pennies to come to Arrowhead? Well, when you come into Kansas City, and I'll let Neil, you know, talk about his favorite barbecue place. Barbecues, it's cliche, but you got to do it. You got to go find one of those barbecue spots. Um, I've got my top choices. I'm going to keep those to myself because I don't want to start before. You can drop them in. You can drop uh, I always tell our, I always tell players. You know, you're going to get asked about the barbecue, and if you're not prepared to back up your answer with a lot of a lot of uh, evidence, then you might want to keep that opinion to yourself and just kind of play it cool off the start. But get some barbecue, and then get out there as early as possible to start tailgating. You know, we have people that, that get out there that tailgate in line to tailgate uh, before the gates even open. They'll get out there at 4 o'clock in the morning. I was one of those people um, before I started working for the Chiefs. Um, but get out there early, and even if you don't have a huge setup yourselves, um, most people out there are so friendly that if you have a chair and you know you pass along a beer, I'll defer to Neil here. But as a, when I was tailgating, I just walk up, hand somebody a beer, and ask if I could hang out at their tailgate for a little bit. And most people are awesome, cool. They'd share food, and you just start talking, and then the next thing you know, you've got a, you made a friend. Um, there's a lot of the people I interact with on Twitter now. Being the Chiefs reporter, I met walking around tailgates before I even had that job. So uh, that would be my advice. Just get there early. Um, go into the stadium as soon as it opens and kind of walk around. Uh, if you can get there the day before and do one of the tours uh, and get kind of the historical layout of you know the, the reno- renovations and all the different things they've done with the Hall of Honor, I think if you're into that sort of thing, you'll really appreciate um, how it all came together. And I think it'll make the whole experience a lot more special. So I get there the day before, do a tour, and then get there early on game day and go find some strangers to hang out with because um, those stories and those relationships will be memorable. That sold it for me. <laughs> and I've been enough times that still sold it for me. <laughs> yeah, I always remember I went, um, 2017, I went, uh, I think we were 6 and at the time and I saw the uh, one of the worst games of football ever against the Steelers, uh, and I think I just wandered, chatted to, to folk, and I always remember. I think I was buying a hat or something, and I asked the lady where I could go and buy a beer, and she just pointed and said, "Just go and make a friend." Yeah, and that's it. That's it. You know, just go and let you say, rock up to someone with a smile, and they'll be happy to chat to you. So, as, as soon as they hear your accent, you're They'll be straight over yeah. there. Yeah, well, you I, guys want to have a single issue. Just no. tell them where you're from, and they will make sure you have a good time. Well, yeah. I had a kilt on, and as I was wandering around, someone asked me, "What is it, kilt day or something?" And I said, like, I'm, "I'm Scottish, so you know, any day ending in a Y kind of thing." Or just and get an obscure jersey, and that's another conversation starter. Just get some obscure player from the '90s and 
there are enough people that will flag you down and be like, I need to talk to you about that. Like, I need to come here. Give me, I'm going to give you a beer, and you're going to tell me about that jersey. Thanks. Well, there you've heard it straight from the uh, the fish's mouth, uh, shall we say. Um, get yourselves along to Arrowhead with us. Uh, look up on our website for all the the early details. Um, speaking of game day, BJ, the one thing I have down to ask is, what are your game day uh, superstitions? Have you got a, a ritual you go through before a game, or? Yes. Um, I'm very superstitious. I had a baseball background. I played baseball in college. Um, maybe just baseball players are always superstitious. But um, if we're winning, if we win a game, I will, the next game day, I will eat the same exact thing. I will wear the same clothes. I will, unless I have to wear something different, which is the, uh, the occasion sometimes um, with our pregame shows and stuff that uh, the team store wants us to wear. But for the most part, I and Matt McMullen, our other reporter, will tell you this. Um, we have a process, and if we lose, we take a different route. Um, walking over to the stadium on game day, we'll leave at the same time. Um, if you know, if I got into all of it, people would think I'm extremely weird. Uh, but I've always been this way. It's not just about you know the Chiefs and game day, but um, but yeah, I will you know do the same thing. So going back to that, like I said, that 2013 season where we started what nine and zero. Yeah, that yeah. first game, that first home game that we went to and, and tailgated for, um, you know, we had to do the same thing for that entire stretch. So I was wearing the same clothes. Uh, when the weather started to change, it got kind of weird because I was freezing. Because it starts off, it's kind of warm, and then by the end of the winning streak, it started getting a little colder. But I couldn't put something on that I didn't wear for the <laughs> last win. So um, there's some strange pictures of me in like t-shirts when it's freezing outside. But you know, I, I had to do my part. You know. You've got to do what you've got to do. You, you're kind of developing a bit of reputation for your jackets, aren't you, as well? You have some pretty cool jackets on offer. They give us some cool stuff to wear. So everything we always wear is from the team store. Um, I know that with the, the 60th anniversary jackets, the cream and the, the white-colored kind of throwback one I wore. Um, <laughs> that one got a lot of traction on Twitter. I know that much. The team store wasn't thrilled. Because the day that they gave it to me, they hadn't unboxed them yet at the team store. They just gave them to us first because they knew that we were wearing them for that weekend. Well, I did some – we were doing um, – it was the day that we had that uh, – the app. There was, like, that pregame light show. Yeah, and they yeah, wanted yeah. me to go over to stadium to, like, show how it worked on, like, a Wednesday. Well, they had just given me the jacket to wear for Sunday. They just gave it to me. So I was like, I'm going to wear this for this little video of showing how the app works. Well, I wear it, and then nobody cared about the app. That wasn't what the comments were. It was all about the jacket. I was like, oh, it's over at the team store. So the team store got inundated with all these calls, and they were like, we don't have them out yet. And so they started getting all these calls, and I guess they sold like a dozen of those jackets over the phone just from the video put out about it. So they sold out of those things really quickly. I have no idea if they're making more. I will find out because I think we wore it for the watch party Wednesday. <laughs> last week and somebody else was commenting where do i get that jacket so um that one's definitely staying in the collection that's for sure that was, that's a good one oh, yeah. those are those are awesome jackets so that's just another reason to get yourself over and read the team store as well yeah <laughs> save up before you do that yeah. listen BG, thank you very much for your time that has been awesome to have you on uh, very kind of you to to come on yeah, duncan absolutely. blair duncan neil you know appreciate you guys having me on appreciate what you guys are doing over there 
uh, and helping growing the game. You know, since we you know went to London uh, a few years ago and were able to pick up that win against the Lions, that was it was a special experience to go over there and experience that. Um, and being in in Wembley and you know the whole stadium and seeing all the Chiefs flags there that day, like it was it was special. Mexico was fun last year. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we come over there again soon uh, and we meet up in person, find a pub. I had yep, problems yep. finding a pub last time. You guys, they closed at like eight o'clock at night. It, I was floored trying to find one, but uh, we'll definitely have to meet up when uh, whenever we do head back over that way. Neil's in Dublin. I'm in Edinburgh, and we can confirm the pubs did not shut early. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> not do house. the pubs even shut down in Dublin? Like I just don't. The, there are there are early houses that start at about six in the morning, so you can kind of transition straight from bar to nightclub to early house, and then you can just carry on going. So, okay. Um, th- th- there's ways of getting drinks, no problem. Our social, not to have a side story here, but our social media manager at the time, Mark Mishevitz and myself, over in London. We're trying to look up the most famous pub in London to go to. And so we were like being the tourists, trying to find them and taking the tube around, trying to find them. And we spent so long trying to find the perfect one. By the time we found one, they were all closed. <laughs> so like, didn't work out for us, but hopefully we'll head back over there and uh, and find one early to get to. Well, I, I guarantee you'll not be drinking alone if you do that, Neil. Uh, yeah. Do, don't worry. Perfect. Somebody tell me where to go. I didn't get to go to the party over in London. They had like a a fan rally i had to go cover oh, the one, yeah, at the same yeah. time they had the fan rally at the same time practice was so i had to go cover practice while all my co-workers got to go to the pub and, <laughs> and party it up and have a good time i'm at a rugby field watching them go through a walkthrough it wasn't the most exciting thing in the world no just just another reason to come back exactly yeah. right. thank you very much really appreciate that uh keep in touch we can hopefully do this again sometime absolutely thanks guys for having me Lovely. Thanks, Thanks, Cheers. Thank you.